If you'd like to follow along in our Bible reading today, it's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Feel free to read that on your Bible app or follow along in your own uh, regular paperback Bible or the words are also on your screen. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as the men went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he was, saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, the Samaritan, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow. O Lord, open our lips and let our mouths declare your praise. Amen. Some of you in the room are grandparents. And you give generous gifts to your grandchildren. Some of you may not have grandchildren, and there's someone in your life you're a grandparent figure to, and you do the same. You send birthday money. You're generous at Christmas. Maybe you send money and a card on other occasions throughout the year or for graduations and so forth. In my own family, our grandparents always did those kinds of things. My great-grandmother Ford, on my mother's side, would always use scotch tape, and she would tape however many pennies it was that year for your birthday. She would get brand new pennies from the bank, and she would scotch tape those to the inside of your birthday card, of my birthday card, and mail that to us. Grandma Ford's birthday cards always weighed more in the mail than the other cards did. My grandpa Lee, that's my dad's dad, always gave us a $2 bill for our birthday. Anybody ever gotten a $2 bill? Raise your hand. Several of you have. And even up until this adult time in my life, my Uncle Brian and Aunt Barb send us a package every Christmas from Omaha Steaks. We love it when it arrives. It's one of those big foam coolers, and it has ribeyes, pork tenderloin, twice-baked potatoes, and chocolate lava cake. Maybe the sermon will be very short, and we'll go to lunch now, eh? I'm very thankful that I've had family over the years who have been very generous to us. In our home, we've always made it a practice to teach Isabella to send thank you notes because we know how much people appreciate that. And I also know how I didn't do a very good job of that when I was growing up. 
When I was younger, my mother was always behind me and my brother to get us to write our thank you notes. I look back and there were many times where we got generous gifts from our grandparents or other family and we never sent a note, never called, and never said a word of thank you. But the interesting thing was, and we'll see this in today's text, even though I didn't always send a note or say thank you, they still kept giving. My actions did not stop their generosity. Bookmark that for a little later in the sermon. And there are times when we give and we don't get a thank you and we get upset about it. And we say things like, after all I've done for them and not even a thank you? Money doesn't grow on trees after all. We might have to reconsider all of this giving we've been doing. Is this Jesus' reaction in the story when only 10% of the people who received healing came back to say thank you? Is this what we're supposed to make of the text? An angry Jesus? Let's see. Luke tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And he was entering a village. And there were 10 lepers standing there calling out to him. Perhaps there was a gate at the village. Maybe not. But they were all congregated there waiting for Jesus. And they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us or have pity on us. Lepers were used to calling out because the Levitical code required that they cry out the word unclean, unclean, if anyone came close to them that those other people might not be contaminated with their disease. They cried out to Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. He didn't say a thing about healing. He simply said, as you are going, show yourselves to the priests. And on the way, they were healed. Both physically and they would also be deemed religiously pure or ceremonially clean. Then Luke writes that one of the men, realizing that he was healed, turned around and gave thanks to God in a loud voice. He used to say, unclean, unclean. Now he says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Thank you, God. He turns around and falls at the feet of Jesus in thanksgiving. And then Luke reminds us that this one man in particular was a Samaritan. And as we read, many people who read this passage will wonder, well, why were the other nine so ungrateful? Jesus had healed them too, and not a word of thanks, no thank you note, not even a quick text message, not even one of those electronic thank you cards from American Greetings you can send by email. And we make the story about the nine who didn't say a word to Jesus and use it as a morality lesson to teach one another that we should be thankful. 
I am convinced that there is more to this story than focusing on a perturbed Jesus and ungrateful, ungrateful men, nine of them, who didn't turn around and say thank you. But often I'm afraid that's how this is taught and preached. I believe there's more to it than that. First, well, actually two things I'd like to say today. First, this is a story about Jesus on the border. And second, this is a story about God. Jesus on the border. Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem. This was his final trip to Jerusalem. The cross awaited him. Jesus was traveling to the south from Galilee, and he was at the border between Galilee and Samaria. And if you look at your Bible map, you see up at the top, the body of water is the Sea of Galilee. Immediately to the west or to the left of the sea is the province of Galilee, where Jesus did a lot of ministry. And he was traveling south, following the way of the Jordan River, all the way down to take him to Jerusalem. Immediately below Galilee was Samaria. Jesus was going through the border. He didn't bypass the province of Samaria on the way. The Greek text says Jesus was dia, which means through, and mesos, which means middle. He was through the middle. He was journeying in between those two provinces. He had set foot in one and the other. For centuries, the Samaritans and the Jews had been enemies, and Jesus did not bypass Samaria because of that. You remember that during an ancient Israeli war, most of the Israels living up north in Samaria were killed or taken into exile. However, some of them were left in Samaria, and uh, we would say they were not valued or wanted. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings 17, verse 24, that a conquering king forced people from five different cities or nations to settle there in Samaria with this remnant of Jews. They intermarried with the Jews who were there, and they brought their worship and their idolatry to the region. By the time of Jesus, the Samaritans were considered by Jews to be a half-race, and they were not considered to be a true people. They had perverted the race. They had perverted the religion. They looked to Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem, as the place to worship God. They interpreted the Torah differently. The Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. The animosity between these groups was so great that some Jews would go out of their way to avoid walking on Samaritan territory. They would go all the way around, cross over the Jordan, go down on the other side, and then cross back over if they were going down to Jerusalem. Or we would say going up to Jerusalem because you always went up. Jerusalem was such a holy place. You might remember the story recorded by John in chapter 4 of that gospel where John tells of the account of Jesus in, uh, meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And in that uh, chapter, verse 4, the scripture says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It was his intention to go through a place no one else wanted to go. He made it his mission to intentionally reach people who were considered enemies or outcasts or left out or unclean. He did not go around. He went right through. And in this story, we see Jesus doing the same very thing. 
He was on the border between the two regions. And it was there he came into contact with these ten men who had leprosy. See, I believe Jesus on the border welcomes those who are on the fringes of society, the unclean and the outcast. The ten lepers cry out to Jesus. I believe they knew he was coming, much like Zacchaeus in Jericho knew that Jesus was coming and climbed a sycamore fig tree to wait on him to arrive. And Jesus looks up and sees him and calls him out and says, I'm going to your house today. I believe by this time in Jesus' ministry, it's late in his ministry, that they knew his reputation and they were waiting on him to come. Would he come close, they probably wondered. Even if he doesn't come close, we will holler out because that's what we're accustomed to doing and we will say, Lord, have mercy on us. And that's what they did. And Jesus sometimes touched those who were unclean. Sometimes he just spoke a word. But you remember what Leviticus says about this in chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes let their hair be unkempt and cover the lower part of their face. Cry out, unclean, unclean. They must live alone and outside of the camp. They were on the fringe, on the periphery, on the border. Commentator William Barclay writes, when a leper was windward of a healthy person, the leper should stand at least 50 yards away. He's quoting another commentator there. Back then, they didn't know that leprosy was not contagious. We know that today. It is a disease of the nervous system. The nerve endings in our bodies when we have leprosy are affected and we cannot feel pain. So when a person is scrubbing a, a floor in a shack in India, they cannot feel the pain and will wear the skin off of their fingers or their wrists or they will wear the skin off of the bottom of their feet because they are walking in villages without shoes. They get uh, a stone that might protrude the skin and infection develops and the skin disease becomes evident. Back then, they thought it was all a contagious disease. Now we know better. Back then, unclean, unclean. We know better today. But there are still people in our world whom we look at in a way that puts them on the fringe. There must be something with them that's not right. Leprosy and like ethnicity had its own boundary issues. But Jesus hears their cry and sees beyond the boundary. He tells them to go and show themselves to the priests. And we remember that not only did the priests conduct religious business, but they were also the public health department. And so they would be required to go and show them that they were clean and they would be given, a, a, if you will, a writ of being clean and could go back out into society. The lepers did as they were told. They didn't expect Jesus to touch them. He just spoke and they experienced healing along the way. One of them returned to say thank you. It reminds us of the story that you heard Caleb and Carter read from the Old Testament, the story of Naaman. He also had leprosy. Elisha the prophet told Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times and he would be cleansed. 
Naaman didn't want to obey Elisha's command. He expected Elisha just to wave his hands over his leprous spots, which would make him clean. And he also complained about going to the Jordan River. The other rivers are more convenient. I like them better. The water is nicer. Why can't I just go there, Jesus, or Elisha? But Naaman's servants finally convinced him that all he needed to do was listen to the man of God. How often is it that I want to do things my way? God says, Bob, I want you to do this. I want you to wash in the Jordan seven times. No, God, I'd rather do that. Just do this. That's what's happening in the text. Listen to the end of the story. Naaman's servants finally convinced him that all he needed to do was listen to the man of God. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself into the Jordan seven times as the man of God, Elijah, had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, and Naaman stood before Elisha and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept this gift from your servant. He went back to Elisha to give thanks, just like the Samaritan went back to Jesus to give thanks. Jesus didn't ask anything of the Samaritan, Elisha wouldn't take anything from Naaman. The prophet answered, Surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. They both recognized the source of their blessing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Count your blessings name them one by one the samaritan man who was healed recognized the work of god in jesus he is now clean he doesn't continue on the way to the priest with the other nine rather he does an about face goes back to jesus falls at his feet and praises god with a loud voice because jesus welcomed him though he was a samaritan he decided to return to the source of his healing. How many other people paid such attention to him? How many other people did such a thing, was so generous in giving a blessing? The man was liberated from the borders that had kept him separated, whether by disease or ethnicity, from the whole people of God. The Samaritan man recognized his liberation from marginalization. This is indeed a story about Jesus on the border. But this is also a story about God. And I believe that God's activity in this world does not depend on our proper response. God doesn't wait for a thank you note to fulfill his promises in the world. If God waited on my response to do anything in my life, I wonder what would God do? The text relates a, a typical pattern of God throughout the scriptures that show us that God acts first, that God is always the great initiator. Our proper response to God is to offer praise and thanksgiving, to see God's hand in what happened, but our response is not 
that which causes God to act. God created all that exists. He didn't ask our permission. God entered into covenant with people through Abram at first and continued all the way through Jesus. Didn't ask what we thought it at first. God did not tell the Israelites in Egypt, if you only have enough faith, I will lead you out of slavery into the promised land. God just led them out. God did not say, if you only have enough faith, I will send Jesus to suffer and die for your sins. Rather, it was because we had no faith that he sent Jesus. And Paul writes, God demonstrates this, this in his own love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for our confession and repentance to send his son. God acted and sent his son and desires that we respond to him. But even if we don't, that does not negate the love that God has for us. Jesus didn't wait for all of the lepers to praise him and worship him and then heal them. He healed them first. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. And on the way, they experienced healing. One of them happened to come back and responded right away. Maybe the others realized it later and told the priests. Maybe they never realized it. We don't know. But that did not matter to Jesus. He did not allow the response or lack thereof to determine what he would do. How often... How often is it that what I do in my mind is contingent upon how much somebody else will appreciate it? How often is my generosity tied to getting a thank you note? How often is my service contingent upon how many people in the church say, Bob, well done, how much we appreciate you. How often am I waiting on accolades before I do something for God rather than acting out of obedience and leaving the rest to God? Those are tough questions that we all have to answer. God doesn't wait for us to have enough faith. God simply acts first. And God's actions can lead us to a thankful response. And I hope that my response is more often in thanksgiving than not. Jesus gave his life for everyone. And how often does he hear a thank you? Only some people respond. In this case, it was one out of ten. And that, my friends, is one of the reasons why we are called on mission to God. To help people understand the love of God. And that there's nothing that they need to do in advance to receive the love of God. It is simply available. Now, it is our calling to help people to understand what that means and how to respond in praise and thanksgiving, how to embrace the desire that Naaman had to go back to the source of his blessing, that the Samaritan had in his heart to go back to the source of his blessing. We want people to see that modeled in our lives. As we are going as God's witnesses. Luke writes in the words of Christ in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. 
and to the ends of the earth. Yes, even Samaria, even on the borders. Gratitude may be the purest measure of one's character and spiritual condition. Let us give thanks. Let us give thanks often. Whenever we show appreciation to, to, to God or someone else, we are going back to the source of our blessing. So I have some questions for you. And in your little sermon note section, maybe you'll write this down today or maybe in the, the rest of the day or tomorrow. But who are you thankful for? Who are, who are you thankful for? Have you told them lately? Will you write a note or make some kind of contact this week with one for whom you are thankful? And if they are not longer with you, you can still write a note and tuck it in your Bible and give God the thanks. What are you thankful for? So not only who, but what are you thankful for? And will you and I return Jesus the praise? Will we say, thank you, God? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And what need is around you? What need will you see this week? And what will you and I, what, will, what need will we see this week? And what will we do about it? Will we allow thanksgiving and praise that we expect to get in the way of what God is asking us to do? Or will we just act and leave the rest to God? Let's pray.